efficient distribution. Um, then don't forget, you still have some sneakers that you'd like to recycle. Brent would be glad to recycle them for you. And uh, one other announcement that I want to bring to your attention is that uh, I received word on Friday that a longtime member of our congregation got promoted a couple of weeks ago. Brother Lauren Farley um, went to be with Jesus, and so uh, he has a sister who lives in Fife and a brother who lives in, in Tri-Cities, and uh, I don't know if he has any of those, anybody connected to those that here in this local area, but uh, we just rejoice on his victory, and but we mourn our loss, another one on the other side. We got more over there than we have here. Don't be checking out too soon, okay? Before I get into the message, I want to sing another song. If they turn it on.
Thank you. Have you ever been startled by something in the dark? Ever been frightened by something in the dark? About 40 years ago, I had an experience that I'll never forget. My good friend and I were out bow hunting out west of town. And uh, in those days where we hunted, there weren't very many guys who knew that you could hunt there, I guess. There were very few people. And there were not a lot of clear cuts. That's why there was nobody there. You had to go hunting. And uh, so I had, we, what we would do is, lots of timber in those days, and we would drive the road until we saw fresh tracks that would cut the bank and go down across the road or up across the road. And we drive in up this road and we come to the t almost the top of the, the ridge between Abernathy watershed and Germany Creek watershed. And, and we see fresh tracks going down into this stand of timber that goes for a long ways. And the next road was way over there. And we go in after these elk and before long we jumped them. When I say jumped them, they saw us before we saw them, which means we got on their tracks and tracked them a while, and we learned that if you just keep on their tracks and don't really push them real hard, about an hour you'll catch up with them. And we caught up with them two or three times during the day, and, and they just kept on going away from the truck. And uh, along about 20 minutes before dark, we realized it was almost dark, and we were in this stand of timber, and we take an account of where we are, how far up the hill it is through the timber. We'll never make it to the truck before dark. Our only choice is we need to jump off this ridge because right below us is Abernathy Creek Road before the end of the county road, blacktop, no less. We gotta go through somebody's backyard to get to the road. Um, but we decided that was the best way. And we hit that road at dark and we started walking up this road. We've got miles to go to climb the hill back up to the top of this ridge. And in those days, the timber was tall enough and in many places there was a canopy over top of the, over the road. Um, some of the time we could see by whatever moonlight between the clouds or the stars but we were going through this section where the canopy totally covered the road and we could not see anything. We just felt the road as we were walking along. And suddenly the guy I'm with shrieks out in fear. And now my heart's racing and, and I don't have a gun. All I have is my bow and the arrows are all quivered. And, and we don't, I mean, there's bears in this country. Well, I don't know what's going on, but he yells and he's, he, there's something has got a hold of him. And then nothing has a hold of him. And when he quiets down, what happened? Something took my hat off. And we're in pitch dark. And, and you know, we look around. And, and after a few minutes, our eyes adjusted just enough to see that there was this low-hanging branch. <laughs> and he was just tall enough that had just caught the top of his stocking cap, pulled it off his head. But in the dark, we didn't know that a, a bear, you know, at that point I could outrun him, so I would have been okay, but. Um, <laughs> in the dark. Uh, if we had a lot of time, we could share lots of stories about the dark and hunting. And my dad 
he had stories that he shared and and I you know one time he and I were in the dark coming out of the woods because we were chasing some elk and uh, it got dark and uh, and we're going out and by this time I thought he was pretty old he probably was 65 or so but I thought he was pretty old at that point in time and uh, so he's walking behind me and the way that we kept the path is I felt for it with my feet and I had a luminous dial watch that I put behind my head and he followed my watch down the hill. And the only reason I knew that is because he told me he'd done that 25 years before with one of my uncles to come out of the dark. Um, and he tells about the time when he was walking in front and he fell off of about a 10 foot thing and they built a fire and just stayed the rest of the night because the first note is this, walking in the dark without light can be hazardous to your health. Walking in the dark without light can be very hazardous to your health. And I start with those stories because we come to the, the fifth verse in 1 John chapter 1, where we talk about the ultimate antidote to darkness. John wrote, this is the message we've heard from him proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light, in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now we know from Genesis chapter 1 that God created man in his own image. Somebody made the comment, and man has returned the favor, meaning that mankind has this propensity to want to create God in man's image. We want to come up with a concept of God that fits our concept of who we think he is. Using the, you know, Burger King slogan years ago, have it your way. Throughout history, humans have been describing and, and believing in God according to how they would have him. And the telltale sign of somebody who wants to make God in man's image is somebody who says to you, I like to think of God as, and then they go on to describe this benevolent figure whose main function in the universe is to grant to us our wishes for happiness and prosperity. Listen, if we have the wrong view of God, everything else in our life is going to be skewed. That's in your notes, if you're following along the notes in the bulletin. If we have the wrong view of God, everything else in our life is going to be skewed. That's the reason John is writing this letter to the churches in Asia Minor towards the end of the first century. He is writing to refute some false teaching that has begun to crop up that will become a major heresy that exists to this day called Gnosticism. Last week we, we talked about how John started this, we call it a letter, but it's really kind of a sermon. He never, entered, he never no salutation, no greeting at the end of the letter. 
he just gets right into it. He's talking about his authority to speak about what he's going to write about because he said, I was there. I, I saw him, I heard him, I held him, I touched him. I was witness to the reality of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, dying on the cross. I saw him as he rose again in that body again. There were people who had come along who thought that they had superior brains and superior knowledge. Gnostics, that word Gnostic from the Greek means knowledge. And, and they thought that they had, they had come to this superior understanding of, of, of God and salvation. They did not believe in the incarnation. They did not believe that God could become flesh. According to them, that's impossible. And by man's standard, that is. But that could not have happened. What they said is the Spirit of Christ came on this man that was born to Mary and Joseph when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And then when he went to the cross, that Spirit left him because God could not be crucified. God could not die. They, they had this, this believing that, that the human flesh was beyond redemption, beyond hope. And... The only thing that really mattered is what you understood. And if you had the superior knowledge, that's what saved you. It had nothing to do with the blood of Jesus Christ, the fact that he was the son of God. And um, so by this time that John is writing this, we're into the third generation of believers. And here's what I mean by that. The first generation were the people who were there when Jesus was there. They shared their faith wherever they went. And there was a second generation, now the third generation. These people had not seen Jesus. They had not heard Jesus. They were dependent upon the story that the apostles shared. And Paul, or John, he said, I, I, I'm, I'm one of those who was there, and I want to bring you back to the foundation. I read in my reading that John had a reputation in the Greek culture at the end of the first century as being the theologian. He was the one who gave us the proper understanding of who God is. And he does it in just incredibly short sentences. We looked at Paul's theology in Romans. It only took us a year to get through it on Sundays. John, he uses short sentences and that are, that, that, you know, all through the Bible, we see attributes of God. The names that are given to God, that shares his, his characteristic, his attributes. But he goes beyond the attributes of God. He speaks about the very nature of God. And we just read this great theological truth in verse 5. God is light. God is light. Now, that's not all God is, but God is light for sure. Think about what John recorded when he was with Jesus and they went through Samaria and they came to the well of Sychar and that woman who comes and Jesus speaks to her and tells her that if, he, if she knew who he was, he would give to her water that would be a well of springing water. She never thirst again. In that conversation, as she tries to steer it to some theological controversy, Jesus made this statement, God is spirit. God is spirit. 
Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's a theological truth. John said in 1 John, God is light. He wrote what Jesus said in John chapter 4, God is spirit. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Not God has love, but God is love. He is love. God loves us because he is love. God is light. Note the authority on which he makes this declaration, God is light and God is love. On the first part of verse 5, he said, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. John proclaimed what he heard from Jesus. He's saying there's a bunch of guys who think they're really smart, who have this new revelation, but I want you to know that I heard it from Jesus' mouth. He is light. He is love. God is spirit. He's not talking about the summation of his philosophical explorations. He said, it's not a matter that I had some new revelation. This is the word of the Lord. It is the word from the word of life himself. Apostle Paul, when he was writing to his son in the Lord Timothy, said in Timothy chapter 1, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He's saying, guard that gospel that I preached to you, the gospel that Jesus revealed to me and was revealed to the other apostles. It's based on this. Don't lose what we heard from Jesus' mouth. Guard it. Hold that message. He says in the second chapter, verse 2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Entrusted, we have the word of God today because there's an unbroken chain of witnesses to the truth. The apostles, they wrote down the gospels. Luke wrote down so much of what Paul and Peter did. And then we have Paul's letters, we have John's letters, James' letters, and it's been passed on from generation to generation. We do not have the liberty to redefine or modernize the message of truth. We do not have the liberty to redefine or modernize the message of truth. John is writing to let them know the gospel Jesus preached is non-negotiable. He is God. He was there in the beginning. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins, and God raised him from the dead. That is the gospel, and it will never change. It will never change. John writes with the authority of one commissioned by Jesus himself, taught by Jesus himself. Again, reading verse 5, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light 
and in him is no darkness at all. There's no darkness at all. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. There's no darkness at all. No, not in any way. No, not in any way. We have any English teachers amongst us? What would happen if in your essay you wrote no, not in any way in one sentence? Do you remember the red pen? Of course, I do everything now on tablets and computers, but in the, in the days we went to school, the teacher had a red pen. Double negative, not allowed in the English language. But in the Hebrew language, in the Greek language, the biblical languages, if they wanted to make something really certain, they would use a double negative or triple negative or quadruple negative. And, and they said, there is no darkness at all, no, not in any way. No darkness, never, no how. God is light. That's the message of the life of Jesus. That's what he came to tell us. What he imparts to us is we learn to know him. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's put positive, he is light, and negatively, no darkness at all. Remember how John opened his gospel? Not the letter, but the gospel. In verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I underlined that in my notes. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Light always overcomes dark. Light always overcomes dark. In John 8, there's a fascinating moment in the life of Jesus. He's in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the feast that recalls the exodus from Egypt and, uh, and the wilderness wanderings and, and, and living in tents for 40 years. During, uh, during that feast, um, every day that the priests would would go to one of the pools there in Jerusalem and, and they would come and to the place of sacrifice and they would pour out water in remembrance of the fact of the water that came out of the rock. The last day they do that, they poured out the last thing and the high priest and everybody's applauded and whatever they, the song they sing. And then Jesus speaks up with a loud voice. And declares, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, he will never thirst again. Out of his innermost being will these, these springs of living water. Now, if you read enough scripture, you know that that rock in the Old Testament was a picture of Jesus in the New Testament. And he stood up in the temple there, courtyard that day and said, here I am. Here I am, the river of life. A little later in the day, He's in the, the temple of the women or the temple of the treasury is what it's called um, by some. And, and he's in there. And, and uh, on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, in that courtyard, they lit four huge candelabras full of oil. A great light would come. In fact, as I've read, it would light up the city on top of the hill at night during that week. At the end of the week, 
they would extinguish the light. But those lights were, were lit. You remember how they were led out of Egypt? That pillar of cloud, that was like a light in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. That's why they lit that candelabra, to, uh, to thank God for the light that had guided them for 40 years. When they extinguished that, in verse 12 of John 8, Jesus spoke to them and saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. My mind went back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was void and without form. And the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Of course, the number one source of light for us here on this planet is our closest star, the sun. The sun. Without the sun, there would not be life as we know it on this planet. There would be no plants. There would be no animals. There would be no beauty. Physical life is dependent on the light of the sun. Physical life is dependent on the sun. What grows in the dark? Fungus. Mold. None of the things you really want. Physical life is dependent upon the sun. In fact, without that light that God put there, the temperature would be so cold we could not be survive. Nothing would survive. Spiritual life is totally dependent on the sun. S-O-N. He's the light of life. The life of light. I am the light of the world. Believe on me and you will have the light of life. There are a number of scriptures in the, scripture, in the Bible that, that, that are really tragic. They speak of tragic happenings in our culture, in our world. One of them is the 19th verse of John chapter 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. Light has come, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We'll give, come back to that later. I wrote that in my notes, thinking I would get there. It'll be next Sunday. <laughs> what does this mean, God is light? God is light. Obviously, I think that this is one of those places where the writer expects us to stop and think about this, stop and meditate about this. 
it is imperative that we understand this, for this is the meaning of the life of Jesus. Whether it's his life lived in history or his life that he will live right now, it will all come out right here. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Notice he did not say light is God. God is light. You cannot reverse it. If it were light is God, if it were light is God, then those who over the centuries have arisen to watch the sun rise and they would lift their hands and worship to that sun because they thought that that was a God. They would be right and we would be wrong. Light is not God. God is light. God is light. What that means is that on a physical plane, God is on every level of human experience. If you want to understand the character of God, then observe what light is, what light does. That's what God does. What light accomplishes, God can accomplish in your life and mine. What does light do? We're going to talk about three things it does this morning. This is probably a study that we could spend a lot of time in. A lot of time, if you took physics or anything like that, you know, you could spend a lot of time talking about all the ramifications of light. But number one, light reveals. Light reveals. I see you and you see me. I'm sorry about that, but I see you because of light today. Light reveals. If there were no light, I could hear you, but I could not see you. Darkness conceals, but light reveals. My office used to be in the back corner of the building over here. And uh, there's a light switch here that covers, or takes care of those lights. But the lights for those lights are back there. Which means that when I was here late at night on Saturday night or whatever night it was, um, and had not turned the lights on inside of here be before it was time to go home, that I have walked through this room I don't know how many times in the dark. And occasionally I still do that when I come from my other office and go to the back room to get music or whatever I walk through in the dark. It is not a problem as long as no one has moved that table. <laughs> or one night I was walking through here and my dad used to put a chair right here when he was praying and he did not move that chair and I run into it in the dark because this room is pretty dark at night since we blocked out all those windows. And, uh, you know, it, it could be very dip. I think, you know, I couldn't turn on that light and go out that way because then there was no switch at the other end. And so um, light reveals. He reveals reality to us. God reveals what's real. He opens the eyes of the heart and our life, and it comes into focus, and we, we see clearly without distortion. And you know what? It doesn't happen all in one transforming moment. We love to see sunsets, but sometimes when that sun is a blazing, you cannot 
look directly at it, can you? Hard on the eyes, more than you can. But as you look to the side, you can take in all kinds of things that are beautiful. And, and that's the way the light of God comes into us as we come from line upon line, precept upon precept, learning about who God is and what he's doing in our life. The puzzles of life begin to unfold. The great mysteries become clear. Illusions will be seen for what they are. We have a lot of mirages in our life, things that we think are true until the word of God reveals to us that wasn't the truth. Light shines. It's in Jesus. It is in Jesus that we begin to understand why on earth we are here. It's in him, and it's in Jesus, the light of the world, that we begin to understand where it is we're going when we leave here. I know where I'm going. I know who's going with me. I don't know the rest of the song, but I love the thought. I know where I'm going because it's been revealed to me by the light, by the light. Jesus reveals to us things about living here and living there. He reveals. He reveals self. He reveals the reality of who I am to me. Too often, we're like the guy that James writes about in the book of James, looks in the mirror, and then we walk away and forget what we look like. He reveals to us things about our unchanged carnal nature. In the light of his presence, we begin to get a clearer picture of who we are. Remember Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. He sees the seraphim and the angels, holy, holy, holy. And he said, I fell down and cried, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Suddenly he had a a revelation of himself. One of the downsides of getting older is the inability of our eyes to have enough light to see. Thus, I have reading glasses. In the morning, I stand in front of a mirror, has four lights over top of the mirror. I take my razor and I shave my face, and I think I've done a really good job until I get out the glasses. And I look closely in the mirror with my glasses, and I see that I have missed several places that I thought I had gotten, because with my glasses, my eyes have more light to see, and it's revealed to me. Light reveals. Light reveals. Um, we painted this wall. This used to be a really great illustration, but we painted the wall. This wall looks really great until you put a, turn the light on it. And some of you won't be able to see it. But right here, now you can see a seam in that wall. When that was a white wall, it really flashed out there. But that light reveals the imperfection of that joint. That's why drywallers hate it when somebody comes through with one of those kind of lights to show 
that they haven't got it as perfect as they thought they had it. And the way I discovered that was once we were doing a play and a light was shining on that wall, and I, oh, wow, look at that. Light reveals. Light measures. Light measures. Did you ever see a carpenter buying lumber? And they look down it because light reveals to us and because light is straight and all of that, you can determine is this a straight board or is this one we throw back in the pile? More and more later, these days you throw more back in the pile than you buy to take home because light reveals that they are curved. Light measures. Light is the most common measuring stick in the universe. Surveyors use laser lights these days to measure distances, angles, uh, How do they measure the distance in space? By light years. The distance, it, how long it takes light to travel, 186,000 miles per second. They measure it by light. That's what God does. God is a measuring stick. He's a point of reference. You can use God to measure everything else in your life. He's a measuring stick, a point of reference. He's light. You can use God to measure everything else in your life. Men are forever seeking to solve the puzzles, puzzles of life on every level around us. Economic life, political life, social life. Democrats don't have the answer. Republicans don't have the answer. Independents don't, whatever party they might be, the answer to all of those issues is found in the Word of God. God gave the standard for government, for social life, for political life, scientific life, psychological life. Whatever we are confronted with, God is the measuring point. He's the reference point. Men come up with all kinds of solutions, some contradictory, some supplementary to each other. Some are just totally absurd. Every one of us are constantly asking ourselves, how do I know which one is right? How do I know the real answers? Well, we've got a measuring stick. God gave it to us. The Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. You want to know how to do marriage right? Right here. You want to do business right? Read Proverbs every day. What do you want to know about life? God has it written here. Number three, light energizes. Light energizes. The most dramatic quality about light. It imparts life, it activates, and it quickens. It imparts life, it activates, and it quickens. 
A few moments ago, I referred to the creation of the world and the fact that God created light, and that light is vital to our existence on this planet. And I made this statement, spiritual life is totally dependent upon the Son, S-O-N. Look what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When Paul was preaching in Athens, he made this declaration in Acts 17, 28. In him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. God is light. He reveals. He measures. He energizes. I'm going to go a little further with this. God is light. In the physical realm, light is the splendor by which everything is revealed. In the physical realm, light is the splendor by which everything else is revealed. We don't see well in the dark. Light reveals a splendor. God is light. He reveals the splendor of life itself. Intellectually, light is knowledge. Light is knowledge. Is God light when it comes to knowledge? What does God know? God is omniscient. There is not anything that God does not know. We give him news breaks all the time, but he already knows. God knows. He knows. He knows everything. He's the sum of all knowledge. The beginning of knowledge, what's this proverb say? Is the fear of the Lord. Because he is perfect knowledge. Morally, light means purity. Light means purity. For sure, our God is holy. There's absolutely no sin in him. The scriptures tell us that constantly around the throne, there is a heavenly choir declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Habakkuk tells us God is so holy, he cannot look on sin and unrighteousness. God is light. God is perfectly good. He's perfectly good. God is light. God is light. I pause because I know people are writing in the blanks. And if I go forward, then somebody's going to have a blank. When I tell you God is light, I'm telling you this. You can trust God completely. You can trust God completely. No 
dark folds in his clothing, nothing up his sleeve, no deceit, no trickery, no hypocrisy, no game playing, no head games. He's light. He's pure. He's trustworthy. He is sincere. You say, really, we're going to talk about God as being sincere? Remember the word sincere comes from without wax, without wax. Pottery makers in ancient time, when they would fire their pot, and if it cracked in the fire, they would take a little wax, color it the same as the clay that they had used, and they would fill that crack and make it really look really great until somebody took it home and put the heat to it, and the wax began to melt. Whatever heat you bring to God, He's still God. He's still pure. He is still trustworthy. He's a God of integrity, utterly and absolutely. God of integrity, utterly and absolutely. He said, I am not a man or the son of a man that I should lie. Have I not said it? Will I not do it? You can trust God. Someone says, Pastor, tell us something we don't know. We know we can trust God. We know He's holy and pure. Let me ask you this, as kindly as I can. Do you really believe that? Do we live like we know that? Do we pray like we know that? Usually in a group of people this size, there is more than one person who at some level believes in order for your prayers to be answered by God, you have to say your prayer just right or you won't get the answer that you need. It's as if God is sitting on the throne of mercy saying, I would really like to help you, but my hands are tied because you didn't say it right. Nothing I can do. Try again. Have you ever been told, be careful about what you tell God you won't do? <laughs> Don't tell God you won't go to Africa as a missionary because God will call you to be a missionary. <laughs> ever heard that? I've heard it said. <clears throat> I heard that. I got you. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. He's not playing games. He's not, he's not leading us down a path to nowhere. He did not start good things in us just to tease us and manipulate us into doing something for the kingdom. And then when the job is done, casting us aside. God is light and you can trust him. That means you can give him your heart and he won't crush it. He won't stomp on it. I love what Isaiah wrote, and, and Matthew quoted it in, in his gospel when, when Jesus went through the city and, and people, all sick people came to him, Jesus healed them all. And he, Matthew quotes from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick, he will not quench it. 
he will faithfully bring forth justice. That picture of a bruised reed, he will not break. There were real flowers here yesterday. They took them, unfortunately. I would have just kind of broke one of those branches. We have this when the reed breaks, chuck it. Thank God he doesn't do that with you and me. You're sitting in a room of bruised reeds that the Lord did not cast aside, but he nursed back to health by his grace, by his power. Give him your life, you'll take care of it. He will treasure it. He will bless it. You can trust him, no darkness, nothing that goes bump in the night. That doesn't mean there's no mystery about God and his providence. He's God and we are human. The scripture reminds us his thoughts are as high above our thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. I don't totally understand God, but I can totally trust God and I can live in relationship with him. We can say to the Apostle Paul, I know whom I have believed, and he's good. He's good. He's good. I can trust him. God is light, and light shines. Light shines. God is open to us. God is open to He makes himself available. He made himself vulnerable through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to walk amongst us as one of us in the flesh that we might come close to God and that as he lives inside of us, we would shine forth to the glory of God. In Jesus, we see all the beauty and presence of God. In Jesus, we see all the beauty and the presence of God. I was going to sing a chorus here, but we're going to skip the chorus. Shine, Jesus, shine. Run the, run the lyrics up there. Fill the land with the Father's glory. Blaze, spirit blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow. Flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be light. Verse 1, give it to me, if you would. Lord, the light of your love is shining. In the midst of the darkness, shining. Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us. Set us free by the truth. You now bring us, shine on me, shine on me. Oh, my prayer for the day is that we'd understand that God is light and he wants to shine into your heart and your life in a very special way. James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is no variation or shadow 
due to change. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God. Underline that in your notes or in your Bible, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Revelation 1.8 says this, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. For us, I'm the A and the Z, says the Lord God, who was, or who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. That speaks of his eternal being his eternal being. He was, he is, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word that the Lord laid on my heart very strongly for the closing moments of this hour today come from this thought, the God who was, who is, and who is to come. God has been faithful. Amen? God has been faithful. God is faithful. And God will be faithful. God has been faithful. God is faithful. And he will be faithful. The stories we have in the Bible are there to show to us God's faithfulness. He's faithful to his people. He's faithful to his promise. He's faithful to his covenant. He never broke his promises. He never broke his covenant. People did, but he didn't. He's going to continue to be faithful in his words and his promises. He's faithful today, and he will be tomorrow. So here's what I want you to hear very clearly. Don't quit praying. Don't quit believing. Don't give up hope. Don't lose your faith. He's the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I know I've repeated that, but you need to hear it. God's phone number is found in Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me, and I will answer. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Call to me, and I will answer. Pro or Psalms chapter 50, verse 15 says this. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. I want you to stand. We're going to sing the chorus, Believe 